love it. I love it. All right. Well, hey, um, for who who had kids singing in that or had grand? Yeah, your kid was the best. All right. So, oh my gosh, those are always so fun. Yeah, those are. <laughs> yeah, define singing. <laughs> That's exactly it. Oh my gosh! At least every kid loved being up here, so it was great. And uh, that's—I was like, that was totally me as a kid. I'm like, I hate this. This is the dumbest thing ever, right? And yeah, so good time. Sorry, I got to figure out. Man, I just—it was all good. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time with my own iPad, guys. I apologize. All right. Well, hey, super fun. 10:31. Good, good, good. So we are. Yeah, I'm excited. We are in uh, our third week of Advent beforehand. Uh, Tom Trosny, it's your birthday. Who shares a birthday with Tim? Tom Trosny? Is Kissy here this morning? I'm not sure she's here. She's here. Anybody else share a birthday today? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Randall, Randall's gonna turn around and sing for you. I'm just kidding. All right. Randall's my wife. All right. Super fun, super fun, super fun. All right. Well, hey, so yeah, we are in our third week of Advent, right? This is the week that we covered joy, and, and last week was love, the first week was hope, and yeah, this is an, a, an incredible season. I, again, as a reminder, if you've never been around church much on Advent, they haven't talked about it much, historically back in the day, like so many of us and so many even in our own culture, the world had reached a point uh, where... Man, they felt like in the church, people had really pulled back from their faith. There was a lack of zeal, a lack of energy, and a lack of passion. And so church leaders began to talk about what can we do. And part of that was, well, let's then live our lives, our lives as if Jesus is returning tomorrow. And so let's, celebrate, let's create the season of Advent. Advent just means coming of, the coming of someone important, right? And so the idea is we want to awaken people again in this season and remind them that Jesus could be returning tomorrow because if Jesus returned tomorrow, it would impact how you live today. And that was the idea. Let's celebrate the coming of Jesus. Yes, we remember the first coming, but really Advent is primarily about the second coming of Jesus, their knowledge and the fact and the reality that Jesus is coming again. And so it could be tomorrow. And that's the idea of Advent, a season of returning, a season of remembering, a season of celebrating, a season of looking forward and recognizing Jesus promised he's coming again. So let's take this season to reawaken, right, and reengage and give our lives to Jesus in a holistic way. That's the idea of Advent. So it's not just let's celebrate the Christmas season. And no, it's a season where we are intentional about returning, of refocusing and reengaging. This morning we sang the very familiar song, Joy to the World, right? Joy to the World. It was written in 1719. It's our song for the morning, Joy to the World. It was written in 1719 by the English poet, the clergyman Isaac Watts. And he wrote the song, Joy to the World, not as a paraphrase of anything from the New Testament, but he actually wrote it as a paraphrase of Psalm 98, Psalm 98. And in it, he was hoping to express what he believed to be the most important attributes found in Scripture. One, the Messiah's coming, and then a marriage of it to the kingdom of God. That was the sole intent of writing it. We want to be a people who focus on the Messiah's coming and what that means for the kingdom of God. Now, it's super important. We sing it. We think about 
we think about Jesus coming the first time, but really he wrote it in Psalm 98 is honestly all about the second coming of Jesus, right? As you read, as you listen to the song, it talks a lot about, you know, men, women, and they, they, they sing their songs, but then he talks about in the song multiple times that creation cries out, and creation has this movement, this expression. And so what we find is, is this idea of focusing on the second coming of Jesus and what it means to everything that's ever been created. So what that means for you is human beings, right, who have been, who have come into this place of we worship, we're just so thankful for the coming of Jesus, but also recognizing that all of creation itself is longing for and yearning for the day when it is returned back to a place of perfection, a place of peace. We read in Psalm 98, verses 4 through 9, these are the verses from the psalm that, that Isaac Watt was referring to. You can follow it on the screen. It says this, Shout, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's with equity or fairness. This is talking, yes, about the second coming. Basically, it's just speaking since when he comes again, all of humanity will shout with jubilant, with jubilant praise, right? With all of the songs they will sing and then the sea itself and everything in the world and the rivers and the mountains will clap and sing before the coming of the Lord. Again, our focus during this week of Advent is the, is the focus of this psalm. It's the overwhelming sense of joy that's found in the coming of Jesus. Now, I cannot deny that in this day and age, when we talk about the different fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, I, I find myself asking for the fruit of joy to break into the lives of my friends and family more than probably ever used to. Like, I think about the nature of love, and I know people who, who are confident that they are loved, but I, I find a lot of people who are not living in the fullness and the experience of the joy that was designed for them. Maybe it's the sense of brokenness that defines the world in which we live. Maybe it's the, the feelings of sadness or weariness or despair or anxiety that seemingly defines so many of the friends that I know and the family that I know, Right? I don't know exactly what it is that causes me to pray it in the sense of my head, but I can feel it. When I'm with people, I just feel the need for a, a movement of joy in their life. And I find myself in this, what I feel in that moment, saying, God, would you just break in? Or God, would you, would you lead them to what's already available in their hearts and in their minds? God, this sense of joy that's a fruit of your presence in their life. I pray for joy all the time for my own family members. I honestly, I pray for joy for, for all of you on a regular basis. God, would you just come? Would you move? Would you awaken? Would you make aware the reality of your joy in their lives? 
you can see you can see why I pray and why we long for joy so often simply by looking at the definitions of joy. I'm going to look at a couple of different definitions this morning. I've used them before. But when looking at these definitions, I think you'll go, yes, that's what I'm longing for. Yes, that's what my loved ones are in need of. You can put it on the screen, joy. The first definition, an inner contentment, an inner contentment, right, akin to peace. Like, you know what it means just to be, ah, just feel satisfied, an inner contentment, a deep down sense of well-being that resides deep in my heart regardless of my situation, good or bad. An inner contentment, a deep down sense of well-being. I think the phrase I've been using just in the last several days when thinking about this is the idea of just a, a well inside of me that is always being filled, that I can go to at any time pull from it, and it just fills itself back up, right? A deep sense of well-being that resides deep in my heart, not on the outside, right? It's regardless of my situation, whether the things going on in my life are good or bad, it doesn't really matter. John Piper defines joy this way. You can put it on the screen. Christian joy is simply a good feeling or an emotion that's in the soul, You can think of your mind and your emotions in this, right? Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul and in my mind and my emotions. It's produced by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, excuse me, in the word and in the world. Deep sense of feeling produced by the Holy Spirit because the Spirit causes me to look at Christ, and when I do, I'm okay. That's the idea. In my house, in our house, we have our tornado shelter. I wish all of you had a tornado shelter in your room, in your house, because my tornado shelter is basically four walls of concrete that's covered by a wall of concrete and brick called my front patio, right? It has a metal door in it that literally nothing can penetrate. And when the storms come, like when you have those tornadoes in all of the houses in our neighborhood, right? When the storms come, like I never forget one day I have my iPad because the you know, the television had gone out, and I'm sitting here, and I'm watching my iPad, and it literally says, now the tornado is crossing over Crossroads, which is where we're sitting, right? And by the way that it goes from east, from west to east, it'll have to literally cross our house next. And I said to the family, I said, hey, let's go down into the storm shelter, A.K. also where we carry and hold all of our trash in our house, right? We have a blue sofa that's been wrapped up for the last 17 years, sitting there, standing on its side. We'll never use it again if you want it to. You can have it. I dare you to come get it. Now, in this, right? But in this moment, I literally, when the storms come, I never fear. I just take the girls. I'll take the pets if we can find them. I'll take Randall always, too. And we'll head down to the storm shelter. And we just sit there completely at rest and completely at peace, no matter if a tornado hits our house or not. We don't want it to. I don't want it to hit anybody else's house either. But we're at peace and we're at rest. There's a sense of contentment deep inside of our house because we had the tornado shelter. That, my friends, is what I'm talking about in the essence of joy. 
and the tornadoes of my life and all the things that are stirring and all the difficulties and all the things that produce worry and fear and the things that produce anxiety in my life, we all have a tornado shelter in us, this deep sense of contentment because of the work of God's Spirit to draw us into Him that's always available, a deep well that we can always access at any time. That's just a fact. It's a theological reality about God's spirit in you that he brings love, he brings joy, he brings peace, he brings patience and goodness, right? On down the line, all of these things. And so joy isn't something we just wish we could just reach and attain. It's something that's available to us like a tornado shelter in our room. Now, with these definitions and this picture this morning, I want to speak about two key convictions. There's other things we could talk about. Right, but just two key convictions that I believe will dictate each of our abilities to receive, to then embrace and engage joy in this season, but in every season of our life. The first will require, require a mental rewiring of how we view circumstances in life. Everybody say circumstances. Did a great job of that. The second will require a shift on what we primarily look at and then focus on in life. So the first one requires right, a mental rewiring of how we view circumstances. The other will require a shift on what we primarily give our attention to with our eyes, spiritually and honestly, physically also. The first key, you can write this down, put it on the screen for me. The first key, circumstances never dictate our ability to live in the fullness of joy circumstances are never meant to dictate our ability to live in the fullness of joy. Now, I think all of us recognize that we live in a circumstantial world where our pleasure in life, right, our enjoyment of life is dictated by the circumstances in which we live. Think about it. When a person asks you how your day is going, what do you do usually, you start thinking about your experiences. You start thinking about the the people you talk to. You think about how things have been going at work. How are things at home? How are things in your relationships? Where have you gone that you've enjoyed, right, your circumstances? This in turn means that your life then is defined by happiness rather than joy, right? Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is circumstantial. I'm doing life, something good happens, and I feel the rise of happiness. How are you doing great? Why? Because you had some circumstances that brought about a sense of happiness in the moment. But all of a sudden, then I'm doing life, something good happens, and then something bad happens. And now when that bad thing happens, all of a sudden your day can go from here to here, and you find yourself living on the roller coaster. I look at all of, look at my kids. I look at my kids all the time and say, you are defined by the circumstances of your life and the happiness and the things that are going on from here to here like this. And it's so hard when sometimes you have lots of up and downs, right? Lots of up and downs. Now, in this. Joy is not like this. Joy is a constant in our lives. It's never a byproduct or result of something positive that happens on earth or negative. Joy is an unwavering, a constant that's fixed on our soul. It's like an anchor that we're always attached to, a source that we can return to at any time. Joy is not circumstantial. Happiness is Happiness is affected by what one has, joy by what one is. 
Happiness comes from the experience of good as distinct from evil. Joy comes from experiencing God apart from good or evil. Happiness comes through outside things which stir feelings within, but joy leaps within from God in our heart and in our soul. Hardships, difficulties, things that cause grief, they will come. Death in our lives is inevitable. In those moments, we are never immune to the sorrow and the grief that those brings. And none of us should ever be insensitive to the troubles others are experiencing. The idea is we never look and say religiously, oh, my gosh, well, you should just give praise to God and rejoice because he's good. And these circumstances are going to fade away. And we don't judge people. And we say, no, we have compassion for you in the difficulties. We have compassion in our sorrows. We have a recognition that life is hard. Tornadoes are never easy and they're difficult, right? They are difficult. And we're experiencing, however, a place has been designed. And with love, we want to always help people, lead people, and lead ourselves to recognize there's always a place that's been designed for us, a tornado shelter that's caused by a relationship with Jesus that we are capable, capable of returning to again and again and again and again. In all circumstances, there's this place, this source, tornado shelter in your life named Jesus that we can always return to. Therefore, joy, like so many things, like a paradox. We may suffer. And we will grieve. We will walk through difficult hardships that will absolutely, absolutely feel overwhelming. But we do not suffer as those who have no joy. There's always a place, and that's the great paradox, isn't it? Seemingly two things that are just so true at the same time. And that's part of the, that's part of the journey of maturity that we find ourselves in life recognizing that life is like a paradox of parts. That's why Psalm 98, it's why Isaac Watt wrote this song. It's like a moment is coming when all the paradox leaves and I just have the fullness. It's not here yet, but we do have access to it, but not yet in its complete fullness. We may suffer, we may grieve, we may walk through hardship, but we don't do those as those who have no joy. Joy is the anchor, it's unmoving. So the idea is this. Christians, it's on the screen. Christians never lose joy because they never lose Jesus. That's the rewiring. Like that's what we have to to think about, process, focus on. Christians never lose joy. They never lose the tornado room. They never lose the endless resource of the well of God's presence because they never lose Jesus. And so the second key, which is a rewiring in our mind, to say, oh, no, I don't have to go search for joy. It's present. It's just a matter of engaging it, which leads to key number two. Joy finds its eternal source in Jesus, 
Joy finds its eternal source in Jesus. Remember what I just said. Christians never lose joy because they never lose Jesus. Familiar Christmas verses, Linus talks to us about every year. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the angels came to the shepherds and says, Do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel comes and says to the shepherds, I know we're scary looking, but don't worry, right? I'm bringing you good good news that will cause great joy. What's the source of that joy? It's the coming of Messiah, right? Psalm 98 speaks, this this is talking about the first coming of Jesus. Psalm 98 speaks to the fullness of joy when it comes at the second coming of Jesus. And Galatians 5 says, the fruit Jesus brings with him when he enters our life, one of those fruit is joy. When he comes, he brings it. It's always accessible. It's always a resource and it's always available. And so in that, we begin to ask ourselves, what's causing us from engaging it? And I think you would say each of you have your own thing. You have your own thing, whether it's whether it's I'm defined by my circumstances, whether it's in that moment, I just haven't I'm not looking at Jesus. I'm not engaging. Maybe I just bow down to my feelings. I bow down to my emotions and I just say how I feel in the moment is how I'm doing. Whatever it may be, you have your own. You have to be aware of God. Help me see what it is that's causing me from engaging joy in my life. And then in this, number two, just recognizing Jesus is the eternal source. Eternal source. Bar- William Barclay on the screen says this, Christian joy, Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. And all these things, guys, here's what I say to you. I'm sharing what I believe to be truth with you. I wonder how many of you are having tension with it. I wonder if some of you actually are beating yourself up right now with condemnation and shame because you know this to be true, but it's not reality. So you'd rather beat yourself up with it rather than say, Jesus, I turn this over to you. Help me. Right. I think we live in a world where Christians just shame themselves and condemn themselves all day long and just buy the lie of the enemy rather than say, no, no. I don't know about you, but sometimes just speaking truth over and over and over and over again begins to break the power of a lie. Right. And so we just begin to say, God, I don't. And so my prayer is, God, I'm not experiencing your joy. Steve says it's reality here for me. I'm not sure I believe that because of my experience. But I read, read scripture and I think it's probably true. I don't know how to get there. So Jesus, help me. Right. That's the prayer. Jesus, help me. But here's the point. Jesus, help me. And the point is then we didn't look at him. We didn't look at him. We focus our gaze upon him, right? True joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence at all times because we are never alone. You know the story. Never forget it. Peter was walking on water. The storms came, and what happened? He looked at, he looked at the storms. He began to sink. He simply had to look back to Jesus. That's this place we're talking about. 
And so in this, right, true joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence at all times. We are never alone. Listen, I'll never forget when AK was a baby. We were, in the, we were living in Omaha, Nebraska at the time. We had put her in the nursery, right? And she, in the nursery, she had one of those meltdowns. Our number popped up on the screen. Rao was on closer to the, to the outside. So I, I, I went. And you know, you're in that fast-paced walk, wondering what kind, of, what kind of moment is this. We get there, and I can hear her screaming from down the hall. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is one of the big ones. And I, so I go running to the door, right? And she is there. Like, I look in, and she is just red. Red face, she's screaming bloody murder, and the poor lady holding her, I knew we were friends, she's like, help, you know, just one of those moments. And all of a sudden, in that moment, right, Anna Catherine with no peace, right, she all of a sudden takes her eyes off of where she was looking and she fixes them on me, and you know what happens, everything shifted. She went, oh, like this with her hands out. And the lady comes running over and she lunges into my arms and she grabs hold and she just focuses on me and doesn't stop. And I just grab her and said, it's okay, baby, it's okay. And I'm just loving on her in the moment, it's okay. She's like, oh. you know, there's that whole breathing thing. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. God, don't let this scar of her life, right? It didn't. She was fine. Just so you know, young parents, she was fine, right? <laughs> She's doing great in life. Now, she needed mine or Randall's presence in the moment. Guys, that's the point. And our moments look, ah, we're just screaming. It's a matter in this of our ability to live mindful, to set our gaze upon him. I believe that's the reality of what Paul was living at in Philippians chapter 4. I won't read the whole thing, but in Philippians, Paul is experiencing a great turmoil. His favorite church, as in the church that had partnered with him best, who had served with him best, they were his brothers and sisters, he called them, unique to all the other churches that he related to. His favorite, quote-unquote, church is suffering disunity. And in this moment of disunity, he's in prison. He's confident that death is soon upon him. He lives his life in chains. He can't get to them as a spiritual father and fix in the moment. He's trying to get out one last letter, right, to those whom he loves and those whom he will never see again. Right? You get the picture. Living life in chains and he'll never see them again. In the middle of chapter 4, verse 4, he says this. Everybody listen to me in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. I don't know exactly what's going on in Paul's mind when he writes these words. But six six different times in this letter, Paul talks about rejoicing. And here he says it. And then he stops to reiterate the point by saying it again. And this is what I want you to get lost in. Right. Don't get lost. He says rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice because circumstances are actually better than you think. He says, no, the only way that you can rejoice is if you do it in the context of being in the Lord, right? Our eyes focus on him in the tornado room of your heart with Jesus, in the moment of, di- of diving deep into the well that has a source of his presence that never runs dry. It's rejoicing only as we focus and give ourselves to the Lord in relationship, eyes focused on him, not 
being defined by our circumstances, yes, being honest about them and how bad they are and how frustrating everyone's going to tell you, I do not want a tornado coming over my house. No one celebrates tornadoes. No one actually rejoices in the tornado and all the things that cause grief. We never do that. What we rejoice is that we are in the Lord in the middle of it. And that's where we begin to mature and begin to give our focus Advent is about a time where we do that and focusing. In my opinion, I think Paul is reflecting on his own life experiencing as I think he's reflecting on his desire to lead and love his people. And he's modeling for them what life can look like in all circumstances. I think he's saying, I've learned to rejoice even in chains. I've learned the secret, he says, of being content in all things, whether in times of plenty or in times of need. The idea for them is that they keep their eyes focused on Jesus. Joy is a lifestyle and rejoicing as an outward expression are both possible in the midst of great turmoil because of our relationship with Jesus. Again, Christians on the screen, Christians never lose joy because they never lose Christ. Our takeaways are simple this morning. Worship can come forward. We end our time. Ask people, excuse me, not people, don't ask people, ask Jesus. Ask Jesus to help you. Ask Jesus to help you to not be defined by circumstances, but instead by the undeniable presence of Jesus in your life. We go back to 10 weeks ago, we focused on Ephesians 2, and we so it's not by it's not by grace you've been saved, right? It's by it's not, me, it's not by it's not by works you've been saved, but by grace through faith. And the idea is that in this moment I come and say, Jesus, I I just can't. I am so easily defined by my circumstances. I'm asking for your grace, your help, your ability, Jesus. I focus on you, but I need you to help me lift my eyes from the waves to see you, God. By grace, would you help me? Grow me, mature me. I submit to you, so I'm going to partner with you in that. It's always a beautiful partnership. I, Jesus moves and I submit myself. I have a responsibility to partner with him, to come alongside and say, yes, I will follow you. But we ask for grace to not be defined by circumstances, but instead be defined by the undeniable presence of Jesus in my life. And second, it's a super practical Spend more time this week and in your life looking at Jesus more than anything else. And as you see him, then choose to rejoice because he's good. I think that's the real key. I think in our lives, so many things to stir and move. And the whole tension for us is just to take our eyes off of the one who actually produces the joy in our lives. And I would just say... In your life, will you have moments of struggling with your circumstances? Absolutely. It will sometimes be easier to connect with Jesus than others? Absolutely. But in the moments when it's hardest, it means one simple thing. It means, this is, hear this. It means I slow down. Pay attention to me. Maybe it's cute to focus on me. When you find yourself struggling to engage and embrace and receive joy or any of the fruit of the Spirit, 
it means you simply slow down and you just focus on him. When do I stop focusing on him, Steve? When the fullness of joy, that inner contentment overtakes and you say, now, Jesus, let's then walk together because I can't go anywhere without you and I need you always. I'm telling you, joy is, if you're a believer, joy is available to you this morning. We have time in ministry. Ministry teams, why don't you go ahead and come forward so they can see. You can go ahead and bring the lights down. Jesus just moves better in darkness, guys. I don't know what it is. And so, no, it's just really up to focus. But this morning, you may come and say a couple of things. One, maybe in your own seat, just pray. Say, God, I am so defined by my circumstances. I, you don't condemn me for that but you've given me the ability to grow out of it, right? And so, God, would you help me? Help me to shift my eyesight this morning. Two, maybe you haven't slowed down long enough in a while to really see Jesus. Take some time this morning to do it. If in your own time, like you're like, I just really want someone to pray for me about these things or anything else going on in your life, anything else, prayer teams will be available and they just love to pray for you for anything to quote unquote felt need or desire of your heart you feel God leading you to uh, this morning. Take some time to worship and as we worship I just invite you maybe just to say I just want to focus on Jesus and just take this time this morning and slow down pause and and look at Jesus. We take communion this morning. It's so powerful. Every time we take communion, it's for the purpose of remembering the work that Jesus did so that the fruit of his spirit could overwhelm us as part of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He saves us and then he fills us. And so this morning, I just want to take communion and to remember the love and the power and the work of Jesus on his cross and in his resurrection. So you respond to the Lord leads. I'll come back in a little bit and, and pray us out. But you respond and, and we'll go from there.